0: Welcome to Unexpected Turns.
1: So pain is all I've known since May 2018. Every day I'm in pain and and you get very good at hiding it. Not because you don't want people to see a weakness or anything like that, but it's it just becomes part of life. But I find taking strong opiates and, and things, they mess with your head.
0: Hello, I'm Ann Diven, and this is Unexpected Turns, where along with my co-hosts Julie and Bev, we get to delve into the lives of some truly inspirational people whose lives haven't quite gone to plan. Today is the first of our question and answer shows, and we're delighted to welcome back
2: Brian Wheeler to answer
0: your questions. The three of us
2: are gathered here again, looking forward to hearing how the race went. Brian back in September, and how he's been feeling since. Yeah, he's
3: learning to walk again after being diagnosed with the Corder Aquina syndrome, and he set himself the challenge to compete in the Southampton half marathon. So, for someone you know who was literally paralyzed overnight from the waist down and told he'd never walk again, it was a you know a huge undertaking for him to uh, to run this marathon. Hi, Brian.
1: Hello.
0: It's lovely to see you back.
1: Nice to see you again. It's not been easy the last four weeks. I've got a bit of a head cold at the moment. And it's—oh, um, believe me when I tell you that coughing and sneezing when you're recovering from major back surgery is not the one. No. It's been... No, absolutely not. Atrocious pain every time. You can't stop yourself. And its it's been awful. Um, but genuinely, I can't do another one. Not just yet. If I I have to, I have to. But this one's really knocked me for six, really.
3: So you've just undergone major surgery again, Brian, recently?
1: Four weeks ago.
3: What did that involve? What were they trying to do?
1: Spinal fusion again. So I I had fusion in August last year. No, actually, the first time was March last year. Um, That was a cage inserted. And then um, so a week before the half marathon, um, I had an episode on my left side. which I knew was which I knew was something not right Um, and I went to see the surgeon and said something's happened and uh, he scanned me I said I said I have to ask you this I thought your answer will depend on whether I heed your advice uh, should I be doing this half marathon he looked at me and said well I'm never going to tell you not to but it's going to hurt and he wasn't wrong we got the results of the scans after the half marathon and a disc that had was already bulging it's actually the disc that caused all the problems three years ago sadly i lost a lot of blood in this one um so so these last four weeks have been really really bad i normally re- recover really really sure. quickly mm-hmm. and uh and i haven't been able to today i i did 20 minutes of walking i put something on social media and say it hurts when i walk and it hurts when i don't so what are you going to do uh, walking will accelerate the recovery i know it will but but the pain is is still there and that's a, that's a bit of a worry for me but We'll see. Oh. Um, I see him on next Thursday evening, so um, we'll have answers by next Thursday.
0: Oh, fingers crossed.
1: But, fingers crossed. I can't. I'm not going to do another one. Um, but again, oh, if he, he's the boss. If he says, if I don't operate now, you're, you're going to be potentially facing this. Mm-hmm. I trust him. I trust him implicitly and I'll do what he says. And If he says, there's a problem, but we can afford to wait, then great. If he says there's nothing wrong, you're you're recovering as I would expect. Just, you know, just taking time because it was a big one, and and the third major back surgery in eighteen months. So it's always going to was going to affect you a little bit.
2: Did you have to go back to Salisbury for that?
1: No, no, it was done locally in um, in the Nuffield Hospital here in um, Ford. All four ops, since May eighteen have been done by the same surgeon, and and wow. and, uh, and that's a good thing. Yeah, because you know
0: Loading. he's doing his own
1: work, and he's uh, you know he knows me. I know him. I trust him, mm. and fingers crossed that's the that's the end of it but it does it has shocked me if I'm honest how long it's taken to recover normally a month after surgery I'm back at work and I'm doing everything I need to do but I can't literally a 20 minute walk today and I've spent the rest of the day on bed so
0: just give yourself time
1: yeah, I know, and I'm, but I'm, it's really bad because I'm an impatient patient, and and that has <laughs> yeah, its, I mean, yeah, we've, we've got we've got that message. <laughs> yeah, that that has its pros and its cons, of course, like everything else, and and I'm a firm believer yeah. that. Were I not to be built like that, then you know I wouldn't be where I am now. You Absolutely
3: know? not. But, no. but
1: do learn your body tells you when it when it's time. But like I say, I dread sneezing and coughing. It's awful. Oh, it's oh. So, so painful, and you can't stop it. It's like how do you stop sneezing? You just can't when you've got a cold. No, with a cup. yeah,
3: golly. No. This is the same surgeon who said it would hurt when you ran that marathon.
1: Is it? It is. Yeah. So because of the sort of person I am, I knew what was wrong. I knew what was happening, and it was sciatic pain that I was experiencing. So the night before, the day before the run, I stupidly went onto Doctor Google and said, uh, "Will running um, aggravate sciatica?" And okay. uh, and the general feeling is, no. Um, oh, it, you will feel it. It's still going to be. It's not going to disappear. The key is to warm up the muscles surrounding the sciatic nerve. I thought, okay, well, I, I can do that to a point by stretching and some light exercise before the run. But I had an ingenious idea that I would go buy some deep heat patches and uh, and I would plaster them all over me, which is what I did. So I plastered a couple on my lower back and I, and I plastered one on my um, left buttock. And uh, and I thought, I'll be fine. And um, during the run, we got to about nine miles. It was a hot day and 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 it started to sting down, down the left buttock. And I thought, sighting so now was really giving me some jit. I finished the race got back, got went to the gym here locally. I was going to go and um, sit in the jacuzzi and just relax. And I pulled this patch off. The other two had fallen off during the race, but I pulled this patch off and it was covered in blood. And I thought, oh, that's not good. Anyway, I jumped in the shower and I nearly hit the roof. And I, I looked in the mirror and, and embedded in, in, in my buttock was a, a, a perfect outline of this patch, which had burnt my skin. It just burnt into the oh, skin. Wow. And, and even even now two months after that scar remains so I've probably permanently scarred myself by trying to try to ease the pain of doing the run oh yeah you Schoolboy boy era things that you learn oh Brian but, oh. hey I'm here and uh and all good
0: I have to say I've had lots and lots of uh questions and nearly all of them are asking the same thing because a lot of people aren't from down south so they don't know they want to know how did you get on
1: well, I did promise you the last time we spoke that uh, that I would bring this medal along, and uh, yeah, and so excellent. I lined up actually; it was uh, it was amazing. There are about ten thousand people. Obviously, the start is a, is a full start for the marathon and the half marathon. And I had a, I'd made a T-shirt, which, which on the back, there were words on there about my journey. So, so it said, May 2018, paralyzed, told I'd never walk again. September the 5th, 2021, running the Southampton Half Marathon, hashtag proved them wrong. And, and something happened at the start, which was, I don't normally get this emotional this quickly, but um, a guy came along, tapped me on the shoulder, and, and he looked like a runner, you know, really small, well-built to be a runner. And he said, uh, amazing. He said, amazing story. He said, you've got this. Go and smash it. And I said, thanks. And he he said, I was like you. I said, what do you mean? He said, I had a spinal stroke. He's only a young guy. He's only in his early 30s. He said, and I was paralyzed from the waist down. He said, and uh, and I was walking like you're walking, you know, slightly off balance and and a little bit this and that. And he said, and I'm now looking to smash this um race and he he did the half marathon in 1 hour 30 something so i deliberately put myself towards the back of of the start um because i thought i don't want to get in people's way i don't want to get knocked over because they just let everybody start so consequently you have you have a big hustle at the start because of the pain my mindset had had to change so so in my head i wanted to do it so initially in under 2 hours but that proved too much of a stretch target. I knew that through the training. I thought that you're never going to do that. So if you can do it in under two and a half hours, that that would be good. Because of what had happened the week before, I was in protection mode, I guess. And I thought, just finish it just fit, it doesn't matter if you walk half of it, yeah. just get over that finish line. We were running along and pe- loads of people were running past and saying, amazing story, and, you know, and it, and it was sort of spurring me on. And I and I remember running through Southampton Football Club Stadium because it was part of the, the race, you run alongside mm. the pitch. And as you come out the, the, the end of that, that was the 10K mark. And I thought, well, I'll have a look at my watch and see. And I thought, blimey, um, you've just done 10K in, in an hour, and a, one hour, one minute, which was actually on for about um, about a two hour, 10 half marathon. And I thought, you know, you're, you're going to have to slow down. Well, yeah. I didn't I didn't have to wait much longer for my body to just slow down anyway. because um, There was a really <laughs> long climb out of Southampton mm. uh, from there to get to one of the parks. And it was getting harder and harder and, uh, and, and more and more painful. And I'll be forever grateful for the for the people who live in a particular street in Southampton who came out with oranges and, uh, and water and, and turned on their garden hoses and made impromptu showers for us all to run through. Oh, wow. um, but, but as we came out of that part, one of the official photographers was there and there's actually a, f- a photograph that he took of me, which if a picture can paint a thousand words, that was it. The, uh, I looked back on that and I still did. The pain etched on my mm. face was unlike anything. And and mm. literally every step was was torture. Oh, um, and there's a long yeah. climb. Oh. You come out of that park and there's a mile long climb. And I was just thinking, this is never ending. Um, and then of course, as you get towards the end, in the last three, 400 meters, all the crowds are there and there's an atmosphere. And, and you forget all the pain and you cross the finish line. And, and, and I finished in two hours, 24. So amazing really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Would I do it again? Never say never, I suppose. I said I Um, wouldn't, but the difficulty I I have, I guess, is I've had to have further surgery. Now, a lot of people have said to me, is that because you were running? Yeah. And and now the honest answer to that is we're never going to know. And we're not, you know, you can't live your life thinking, well, I best not do that because it might cause this. You just don't know. I said to the surgeon, has the running caused this? And he said, no, no. He said, right. "You you have um, degenerative disc disease, and and you're also blessed um, through a hereditary uh, problem with a with a smaller than normal spinal canal. And okay, I guess you could say I've been unlucky. Five back surgeries is is pretty uncommon, I guess. Uh, I, I'm not particularly uh, wanting a six, um, but but I'm um, a realist. Do, mm-hmm. do I think that I will?" Get to my deathbed without more surgery, probably not. The thing I have to do is just I guess live every day to its fullest because what, mm-hmm. I, what I don't want to happen is i don't I don't necessarily want to go backwards and that's the mm. that's what I always everything that I do is in is, is to try and make sure that i I keep this level of fitness or this level of mobilization I suppose if that's the right word but already I'm, I'm thinking when i start to get out and about now from this latest surgery i might take one of my walking sticks just to give because it's a visual sign to other people to say yeah. give this person a little bit more room because otherwise people don't know and, and and what why and how would they know you know you get knocked and and, and if i get knocked on the floor I'm, I'm like an upturned yeah. turtle. It takes me ages to get oh. back up again. So uh, but hopefully um, in a few more weeks, I'll be a bit more mobile again.
2: Actually, one of the comments we did have from Helen was, is it worth the risk of further injury doing these um, runs or half marathons, whichever? So does that make you think that maybe there's another sport you could direct yourself towards instead?
1: It's a good question. It's one I've asked myself. I think I said on the on the original podcast that, Running was always something that I turned to both for physical and mental mm, well-being, yeah. and, I, and I was never able to recreate that. Uh, I tried all sorts of things from hitting punch bags with boxing to cycling to swimming to and, and I enjoy swimming, but none of them give you the same sense of freedom, I guess as, as running. I think if i'm honest with myself, long runs. Are probably out of the equation, mm. but but in my in my own mind, I'm sort of thinking. So I started park runs as part of the training for the half yeah. marathon, yes. and I think that's something that I'll stick to because it's three miles. Now that's not too long; it doesn't take too long. I don't have to do training during the week to do them. I could just pitch up on the Saturday morning and do a three-mile run, yeah. and that will be enough. The rest of the time. I'm going to stick to swimming and other cardio equipment in the gym mm. I think. until it's the next in- challenge comes.
0: It's quite interesting because they do at dawn swim and walk. First thing in the morning, they do this. You get up. Really? You sw- yeah, you, you swim and you walk. That you might see, be uh, something rather than a park run. That-
1: but I could quite fancy as well a... Um, a biathlon, which involves a swim and a short, mm. you know, mm-hmm. so, so yeah. a, be it a mile swim and a ten k run. That that's not going to break, um, I, I think. But again, I, I guess I go back to to what we spoke about before. We don't know for sure that uh, running caused this. And no, the surgeons no, adamant no. it hasn't. So, you know, who do you believe? That and and, and literally, you can go online and say is running good for your back and 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 if you trawl through every document on the internet yeah. it's 50 50 yeah yes it is. and no so you know it's it's i guess it's about knowing your body and 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 doing what's right for you and crucially knowing when to stop
3: i think i think you've answered that i think a lot a lot of our friends and family who've listened to to your podcast and been really inspired by your story friends and family who've got illness or recovering from sporting injuries themselves you know they they've wanted to know how you manage your pain on a daily basis
1: that's another really good question i guess the honest answer is you learn to live with it so, so pain is all i've known since may 2018 every day i'm in pain some days are better than others and and you get very good at hiding it not because you don't want people to see a weakness or anything like that but it's it just becomes part of life i don't like taking. Um, painkillers strong painkillers certainly and and even this latest recovery uh, and maybe i'm my own worst enemy in that but but i find taking strong opiates and and things they mess with your head they you're not quite in control of everything and and your body's telling you it's hurting for a reason so if you mask that totally you don't know if you're doing yourself any further damage um, because you're just masking all the pain receptors so I live with it. Some, as I say, some days are really bad, and, and you can't do anything about them. So, neurological pain is is really tricky to to deal with, and and I get it quite localized, mostly in my left calf, which locks up, and uh, and and it's pretty excruciating pain. But but it lasts not not for too long. You know, what can you do about that? There are things you can do. You can take certain drugs that um, inhibit neurological pain. But, but they have so many side effects. I'd rather take yeah. the pain. I, I would mm. rather take the pain than, than take all of those tablets, which mess with your brain signals mm. and everything else. I'm just like, oh, don't, I don't want to do that. I mean, <laughs> stupidly, and you think I'd know better, this latest recovery, I was on oral morphine. And you can't yeah. just stop that because it's a really strong and powerful opiate. Well, yeah. like an idiot, I just stopped it. So, so I went from four doses a day to two doses a day to nothing and I regretted it the next day I, I was awful and, and literally the come down from that was terrible mm-hmm. so I thought you, you must not do that so I then went back onto mm. half a dose a day just to wean off a bit more slowly yeah. because it was withdrawal it was of full course. withdrawal I was shaking and felt sick I was like you idiot you, you knew this you knew this and yet and yet you thought you knew better so you live and learn as well. Sometimes, you know, you, you just I, I, in my rush to get off those tablets, uh, I made myself more ill potentially.
0: Yeah. One of the other questions I got asked about pain was from Sheila. She was saying, do you have any dark days? Actually, she says, do you have many dark days? She says, um,
1: not really. I, I have moments. Um, I, I don't let them turn into days because there's always light at the end of the tunnel, I guess. There are days when the pain is is such that you think, oh, not again, I can't, I'm not sure I can do this. But pain is temporary, I mean, it, it, if that makes sense, because it's there permanently. Mm. But you can switch it on and off depending on what you do. I found that certainly in the early days, if I sit and, and allowed myself to focus on the pain, it, it became all consuming. And so it, it almost felt worse because you're, oh, I'm in pain, I'm in pain, and then you feel like you're in more and more pain. Um, so I chose a different route and I thought, well, pain's there. Try and switch it off. Try and try and keep yourself busy, try and do what you can do, do stuff that you enjoy, get get out. So I found walking, you know, I've done a lot of walking as as part of my recovery and 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 that helps as well. But yes, there are there are dark days, and and, and you know, the people that I interact with who have had you know life-changing injuries, spinal cord injuries a, a, and other things have exactly the same thing. And, oh. I, and I think now in general society, people are more open about that. And it's not the taboo mm. that perhaps it once was. It, you, you know, it's, it's fine to have those days. You just have to acknowledge it. And, but, but you also have to be alive to the fact that if a dark day becomes two, becomes a week, becomes a month, you need to do something and get some help for that because you very quickly start a spiral of dissent if, uh, if you don't address it.
0: Mm. And, and you've got a good network of people around you from what you said before, haven't you, that help and support?
1: I have. And, um, you know, and, and I think key again to that is never be afraid to speak up. Don't suffer in silence, no. I guess.
0: Going
3: back to that sort of more physical support, I think it was James asked, asked the question, do you think there's need for more OT support? You talked about this lack of support when you first left the spinal injuries unit that you were sort of left to your own devices in terms of organising your sort of physical support, you know, to aid your recovery. So do you feel there's need for more structured support to get people back into work and into a daily routine?
1: So I can only speak from from my condition, and and the answer to that is 100% yes. To be discharged from an NHS hospital, who who incidentally were brilliant the whole time I was there, got me from a position of being there in a wheelchair, unable to do anything for myself to walking out on crutches and then to say you're on your own that's a failing of the system for me you know to say there is no there's no pathway for this condition that you've that you've been afflicted with we'll put you down for outpatient physio there's a 12-week wait for Mm. it see you later Mm. it's like well (laughs) that's and I think I said in the podcast that's not going to work for me yeah you
3: did it struck Um, a chord I think I I, I can't wait
1: three months You, you know that's crazy and I don't know the inner workings of the NHS, sadly, but um, I guess they get a pot of money and and they allocate it to what is considered more needy than others, and and there'll be winners and losers in that uh, inevitably. Um, and and corda syndrome is still quite a rare condition, thankfully, but it's not just corda syndrome. Well, I'm sure there are many mm-hmm. people who get discharged from hospital and and find themselves with huge waiting lists. I also, uh, I suppose, your Pressing my buttons a little bit here, in that the other interesting thing is the way that some of the decisions are taken by government, both uh, nationally and locally, with the issuance of a blue badge. Let's use that as an example. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Now, it's a very strange and and almost archaic set of rules, and and it's based upon how far can you walk, and if you can walk more than fifty meters, that's it. You're not entitled to one, and Mm -hmm. it's like you don't quite understand that. And it's not really all about how far I can walk; it's how fatigued do I get. But, but crucially, certainly for people with with spinal injuries, it's the space that a, a disabled bay allows you to be able to open fully your car door yeah. and get out mm. of your car. Because we all know what it's like in a car park. Uh-huh. If you're in the normal space; you need a sardine can opener to get out. Sometimes and you try doing that with a bad back. So, so yeah, there are the, there are lots of lots of ways I think in which that support could be proved and you've only got to look really at, at the news this week and the israeli minister mm, attending cop 26 exactly. in, in her wheelchair and she couldn't get into the into the venue yeah. now now the, now that venue is a fully accessible venue so 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 that's not a fault of the scottish government what have the uk government done to mean that this lady can't get into an event i mean it's crazy and and, and we we've got so much more work to do as a as a country, in terms of that, but but uh, I mean to answer
0: that actually that actually leads on to Brian's question. Brian Harris, that is not yeah. you, Brian. Obviously, um, he he asks. He asks, sorry, I've given out a surname there. Oh, never mind. Sorry. Um, yeah, Brian Harris asks, can you talk about some of the challenges disabled people are still facing today, and how you would go about addressing them? So that leads exactly into what you were saying.
1: Yeah, so I think that there are a couple of strands to that. So I, I can't remember whether I said this in the podcast, so, so if I did, stop me and, and I won't repeat it. But one of the things that, that was a huge frustration for me was how you were made to feel like a, a second-class citizen um, in, in a lot of situations, actually. you know, Disabled mm-hmm. toilets, which were not available because they're being used as a storeroom. Um, w- when I went to a shop, um, and, and and the person who was pushing the wheelchair, uh, but but I did all of the transactions. So I put the goods onto the onto the conveyor belt thing. Um, gave my card to the. Um, oh no, sorry. Before that point, so, so I put the food on, and the the cashier rings up the the total, and then speaks to the person who's pushing the wheelchair. It totally ignores uh, me. Yeah. And, and to be fair, every time that happened um the people that that were with me said well, what are you asking me for he's the one who's, who's buying all of this uh, and, and and that is a very good way of pulling somebody up and it's not making a scene it's not I mean it's slightly mm. embarrassing for them um but but it makes them realize that, yeah. that just because somebody is in a wheelchair it doesn't mean that they're that they're not a in inverted commas worthy citizen and also, and I guess this is cultural, people are very quick to judge. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard and, and had to tackle things like, you're too young to be disabled. Well, you don't look disabled. Or what does that mean? You know, mm. what do you want me to do? Drag my leg behind me? Or, you know, it's crazy. Very early on, I remember parking in a disabled bay. And I mean, me, I'm not, I'm not that young, but I, I remember an older couple st- stood and stopped, stopped where they, and watched me. And I thought, oh, I'll have a bit of fun here. Yeah. And they were really staring at me. And I thought, she wants to come and say something. So uh, let's see. So I parked up, took my seatbelt off, got my blue badge out of uh, the, the um, <laughs> I've forgotten the name of the thing, where, where you put stuff that in your car. Glove <laughs> Compartment, oh. that's the word. <laughs> uh, put, it on the, put it on the dashboard and uh, got out of the car. And, and I've never seen two people scurry away as quickly mm. as these two. That's a shame. That's a real <laughs> shame because I was looking forward to engaging with them and asking them if they had a problem <laughs> and if it, and what it was. But those are things. And, and okay, I, I jest a bit with that. But, but it does just make you think, well, where do people get off on this? Yeah. You know, who, who do mm-hmm. they think they are? They may argue they were in support of disabled people because they were looking at somebody who perhaps wasn't, who was parking in a bay where they're not entitled to park. I'll never know because they didn't stop to hang around and have that conversation with me.
0: But they, were, they were making a judgment which they had
1: no right to make. Well, of course, and it's none of their business no, to be, to, to be yeah. totally frank. But what more support can be, be done? I think... <sighs> Just recognising the difficulties, all too often disabled people are left to their own devices. I mean, the medical professionals that, that we deal with are excellent, but there's only so much they can do. Uh, the rest of it becomes societal and, uh, and also, I don't want to get into politics, but governments can do more and should do more. We don't choose to have a disability. Um, you're either born with a disability or, or, you, or something happens, which means that you're then faced with living with a disability. And some people have far more issues on a day-to-day basis than others. But, but I'll tell you what every disabled person is very, very good at is getting on with their lives Regardless of what obstacles are put in their way.
0: Yeah. When you say government needs to do a lot more to help, have you got any one thing that they could do? I know there are thousands, but what would be your first thing? You've talked about society as a whole needs to be more accepting, but what might government
1: do? So, so I think one of one of the things I would do to to make life a lot easier is simplify a lot of the processes and red tape that surrounds getting the care and the assistance that you need as a disabled person Mm. it's crazy you have to fill in Mm. 60 70 80 page document and some people really struggle with that especially you know imagine if you've had a brain injury and you're struggling to read and write and then all of a sudden in order to get the help that you need you've got to fill in this 80 page document you've got no chance Mm. so you have to get help just to fill in the form to do that Uh, And again, that could be solved by having a face-to-face chat with an appropriate person who fills the form in for you. You know, they assess you properly rather than giving you, you know, shoving the paper in the post and say, fill that in. And that's where it falls down for me Mm. because it gets sent back to somebody in an office who hasn't assessed you, don't know you, can't see what you have to deal with, and they make a decision based upon a set of criteria. Yeah. It's yeah. a bit faceless, really, that. And, and that's one of the things I would change.
2: Yeah, I think one of the other things is that people who've never experienced disability, whether it's themselves or as a friend or family member, don't always see the problems. For instance, I know if people who are disabled want to go to just concerts or shows or anything like that, they have to get through a special help line um, in order to buy the tickets and then they're allowed to buy one other ticket to go with their own things like that I know do crop up for people and so I think as a whole society needs to address things where they make people who are disabled more on a level
1: yeah you're dead right it it,
2: Um, gives gives people a chance to buy the extra tickets they need
1: yes because it becomes isolating Mm, you you know why should you have to decide um, out of your five friends which one comes with you I as mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. If you're able-bodied, you don't have to decide. Um, no, you no. may decide but for totally different reasons. <laughs> but uh, you know you you have choice. You don't have choice as a disabled person.
2: Absolutely. yeah. Then often having to sit in a separate area and hope that you'll bump into your the rest of your group in the break or interval or something.
1: Uh, and, and then, when you want to go to the toilet, you, you find that there are people who can't be bothered to queue for the, for the in inverted commas, normal toilets. So, so they're all in and out of the disabled toilet. So you can't go in there. And when you do finally get in there and get back, you've missed the start of the concert or the football match or whatever.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, another
1: frustration of mine.
2: So I think it's needing to raise people's awareness, really, of the issues that do crop up for people who have disability issues, whatever they might be. Yeah. There were lots and
0: lots of people who sent us messages about how inspiring it it was hearing your story. I thought you might like to hear some of these messages. This one's from Liz. Absolutely inspirational, especially after fracturing my vertebrae this year through cancer. Thankfully, nothing like you, though, with your paralysis. What strength of character, she says, you have given her, and she's very thankful, you have given her great hope that she'll be back cycling hills again next year. So... Thank you and for she that. she will be. She will be. She'll, be. she'll be thrilled to hear you say that. Jeff talks about memories of his prolapse disc that he had in 2005. And like you, he says he was told his running and cycling career was over. Again, he says, you know, he's now fully recovered. And he says, again, your story is absolutely inspirational. He's going to keep going. Good. So that was good. I also got a message from David Smith, MBE. He says, you sound really, really motivated but he he does say he's happy to offer any advice or help in any way he can.
1: Oh, lovely. I'll take him up on that when he messages me. Yeah. That's really nice to hear hear those and and what I would like to do and I've started this process already and it's not easy to to do this. There is a website called Speakers for Schools where you can register and schools log on and they and Choose whether or not they want to you know you to come along and, and, and give a motivational talk bizarrely to be able to be accepted on that website you have to have given three speeches at three separate schools where the website can get feedback from so you have to do the very thing that you want to do to be able to do it so I'm contacting yeah. <laughs> all the schools locally if by telling the story I can help just one person every time I do it then then that's success for me because all too often people don't hear other people's stories and and, you know they can find themselves with this hugely life changing event injury call it what you will and it's very easy to think that's it that's the end of my world and and of course it would be if you if you thought like that and thought oh that's it i'm not going to do anything that's the end there's always a solution you can always do something And, and i take my inspiration off loads of different people there are loads of people on on social media who i follow who've lost limbs and uh you know had spinal cord injuries and they it's phenomenal totally inspirational and and we all feed off one another you know that's a great thing for me um i see what other people do i don't think what i've done is anything particularly special i think a lot of people would do the same i i hear differently um which is fine again if it if it taps into one person and they think you know what he's right I reckon I can do that then great and that's what I want to do because I thought long and hard about this when I was in hospital my only regret and I don't have many is that I didn't diarize it um, because then mm. then you, yeah. you've you not just yeah. got the memory you've yeah. got mm. actually what you wrote down and if you write yes. down feelings as well it's more powerful it is more bit, powerful. You, you know and I didn't um, and whilst I can remember a lot of it and, and, and there are certain events that you know, they, they were key moments in the recovery. There would have been days which your which your mind inevitably switches off to. Probably the bad days, to be honest, yeah. because that's what we do as humans. The really bad days you forget. But it would be good to go back to them and go, oh, yeah, I was feeling really bad on that day for the following reasons.
0: Yeah. It is hard, but you get through those moments and you've gone through those. And from the messages we've had, you've inspired more than one person.
1: And I'm really pleased. And to all of the uh, that you read out messages from, I just know that, you know, from the little I've just heard that they'll achieve what they want to achieve, most definitely.
0: Ah, that's lovely to hear. I'm sure they will.
3: I was just going to ask Brian that obviously you, you raised a considerable amount of money for airability. And I was wondering, could you give us a little update on, on airability and, and where you are and anything that might be happening there that would be of interest to our listeners?
1: Well, yes, perfect mm. timing, really. So, so Saturday, the 20th of November, is our annual Aviators Ball, which is held wow. at the Sofitel Terminal 5 at Heathrow. Um, right. 450 guests. Wow. Uh, it's, it's our end of year biggest fundraiser. We have a huge auction, which is online. It will be live soon on the Airability website, which is airability.com, with some fantastic money can't buy prizes, really um mm. ranging from you know flight with a, with a blade aerobatic display team all the way down mm. to uh, aviation memorabilia and, and all sorts the, the red arrows attend the event um they always put up one of their red flying suits for auction as well yeah. um and it really is a brilliant event and the highlight really of our calendar last year we we couldn't do it obviously because of the pandemic so yeah. we did we did the ball at home um and, and so we streamed yeah. it. And and everybody got together, and we all cooked our own dinner parties. And the charity sent out packs with um with our renowned aviation cocktails, and uh, and we all had a really good night. But but it will be really oh. good to get back together. Yeah, and, um, and i'm looking forward to attending that and 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 i'm hoping that fatigue level wise i'll be able to enjoy the whole night but even if i'm only there for a couple of hours it would be great and in terms of the money's raised so far it's just shy of nine thousand pounds so i'm really really pleased. so uh, you know it's really good and and we've had a a couple of appearances on the local tv news south today um one before the race and then just a couple actually after it's been really good actually to give you know that sort of coverage to the charity because we are a small charity and uh, and and if it opens eyes to to disabled people around the, the south of england then mm. then great and that that was the aim as well so yeah really pleased
0: you've mentioned airability. quite a lot of people have asked what next yeah you've mentioned yeah. you might want to do a biathlon what other plans have you got
1: um, at the moment, none, um, and mm-hmm. that's the, that's the honest answer. Because deliberately, I, I've given myself some time to recover from this surgery. Um, once I'm back to to a level of fitness and mobility, then then I'll start thinking about what's next. Although, to be fair, actually, I said none. <laughs> uh, it's, not strict, it, it's not strictly true, but but this isn't fundraising. This is more of a um, this is a personal goal. Uh, and i did touch on this in the in the original yeah. podcast so to regain my pilot's license yeah. now yes, that oh, hasn't yes. happened it's yep. not yep. happened yep, this year it. but it will happen next year the oh. pandemic played a part in it mm. um, my surgery last year played a part in it the flying school reopened but sadly the person who runs the flying school contacted me on october the 4th and said, we're ready for you. And I said, I'm okay. going into hospital in two days' time, and yeah. that's going to knock wow. me out for a while. So I'm hoping, well, not hoping, I know that by this time next year, I would have regained my pilot's licence, and then uh, I will come up with another plan, no doubt, to, to raise some more money for the charity.
0: Where, where do you do that? Is that good? Where do you do that?
1: No, uh, it's actually going to be at um, Daedalus, Leon Solent. Oh, right. So cool. it's, uh, or, the, or the newly named Solent Airport, as, it, as it's now known okay
2: oh. no I which is that.
1: great because when you take off from one of the runways you're you're straight out over the sea um pointing at the isle of Wow. Oh, you
2: wonderful. can get all around
1: the south coast very very quickly and of course it's only 40 minutes to to fly over to france so um you know lo- lots of adventures ahead oh, oh, sure.
0: you've got lots of plans but no sporting challenging plans though sounds good to me well not yet (laughs)
2: have a rest I think just enjoy the success that you've just had yeah and get yourself fit
1: yeah I'll just take the opportunity to to anybody who listens to this if if they want to read an inspiring book about how you can push your body and mind to its absolute maximum I would recommend a book called um, can't hurt me by an American guy called David Goggins, who is one of the most phenomenal human beings uh, that walks on this planet. What he overcame to, to become what he is now it, is truly phenomenal. And I would recommend that to anybody.
0: Oh, I should okay. look that
1: up. And I would you, highly you, recommend Beverly it. Beverly
0: making a note of it there? <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: I am, indeed. Yeah. Well, you should be very proud of what you've achieved, Brian. I remember you saying in. Back in August, that you you don't take the time to do that, y- your mind is always thinking about the next thing. So I hope you have paused a little bit. To, um... I have,
1: but probably not as much as I should have done. <laughs> but that's just me. I can't change who I am. You know, I was no, very proud. I crossed no. that finish line. It was quite emotional. I, you know, I, I'd achieved what I set to, set out to do. It raised more money than than I'd. originally set out to do but of course you always want more but you know it's um (laughs) don't put too much pressure on yourself you know the charity are are absolutely over the moon and that's really really good and and the money will get spent and help change so many people's lives so so I'm really pleased and proud about that
2: and like you said as much as anything it's raised the profile of the charity
1: yes and that's key actually as a trustee of the charity that that's mm. my job if you like and I'm yeah. pleased to be able to do that so I've always said that that I'm a man of action rather than just words and you know the last six months are, are, are absolute evidence of that and, you know if I am not going to just say I'm going to do something I'll do it and deliver on it and uh, and the charity will hopefully benefit more so not, not so much the charity actually but but more so the people that that benefit from the charity
0: exactly it has been absolutely brilliant seeing that you've achieved all your goals and also not just the half marathon but the fact that you've inspired as you said you wanted to inspire and one other person from the messages we've had it's lots of people but you've done it all and I'm really pleased that you are actually now taking a little bit of space to just reflect and enjoy yourself
1: needs must needs must. Think, yeah. yeah it's uh once i'm uh, you know i'm back in the hydrotherapy pool tomorrow so so i'm, oh, I'm like brilliant. a i like a kid before christmas tonight tonight's my christmas eve for me that's a shift in mentality now to right yeah. now, now you can start getting back on the rehab yeah. certainly the warm water of a hydrotherapy pool is uh, is really really nice
0: that sounds so good, i'm excited that's yeah. well, all exciting well thank you very mm. much brian for answering all our questions it's been fascinating the messages that we have had back from people and I know that if you do get into those schools and reach those children they will really really benefit I think life lessons definitely to be learned for those children so I really hope that that works out
1: well I hope so and uh, and and if I can just take 30 seconds to say thank you very much uh, for the opportunity to to speak to you and uh, I'm glad that that the message has resonated with so many people and that makes me really proud
2: good to talk to you again Thank you. Thank you. Wow.
0: Well, that's the incredible, infatigable Brian Wheeler. Has he achieved any of those challenges? Of course he has. This is Brian Wheeler we're talking about. The first one, he set was to regain his pilot's licence and he did that last year. He's already completed several flights around the South Coast and across across to France. If you follow Brian on Brian Wheeler at Instagram, you will see he puts up the most amazing shots taken from his aeroplane. They are truly beautiful, makes everybody want to fly. The second challenge he had was to become an inspiration to others. Well, from the messages we've had, lots of you have been inspired. But he's also gone into schools and spoken to pupils. And we've heard back from teachers and parents about what an inspiration he's been to the children he's spoken to. Just sharing his story and making them realise it doesn't matter how many times you're knocked back, doesn't matter what's happened, you can succeed. In fact, that's the whole message of this podcast. So we're delighted to hear that. But he hasn't stood still. He has in fact set himself a sporting challenge. Despite all the difficulties he had following that half marathon which he rode, which he he ran with two broken kneecaps, he's decided he is going to try and complete a complete marathon. He's not going to run it, he's going to walk it. So in May, he set himself the challenge of completing the New York Marathon. He is doing it really carefully. If you follow him again, like I say, on Instagram or Twitter, you'll see all the training and work that he is putting into achieving that goal. And we know, no matter what, he will be successful. He will achieve it. So we wish him every success. know he'll get there but the toll it will take on him will require some brain power and that muscle to be his strongest muscle. We are actually hoping to talk to Brian again later in the year so do join us to find out how he got on. Meanwhile if you tune in tomorrow you'll be able to hear how Teagan Phillips, the ultra cyclist, set herself a challenge and at the end you'll find out how she got on. Did she achieve her world record? Look forward to hearing you listening then. Bye. Thank you for sending in all your questions and messages. Without you we couldn't have done this. And of course thank you to our guest Brian Wheeler. Bye.